0: Well, thank you, Father, for this time of year. In the midst of uh, what ends up being a busy season, we do want to worship Jesus, the newborn King. We do want him to be the focal point of our lives. And so thank you for times like these when we can refresh ourselves with our hymns and songs and choruses. We can open our Bibles on our laps and we can read once again though so familiar, this great story of your love and kindness to us. Such an undeserving group of people. And so, Father, at this time, when we focus on the word, we ask that you would teach us, that you would encourage us and strengthen us in our walk. Thank you for your faithfulness for another year. And as we wrap up 2009, and we anticipate, should you tarry, moving ahead into 2010, that we would, through your word, be obedient and humble servants, faithful to you, careful to recognize that life is short and that we need to take advantage of the time we have to be the church that you want us to be. Strengthen us, encourage us, and renew us. Now I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Well, I have to tell you that... um, I got some Hickory Farms for Christmas. If you were here a few weeks ago, you'll know the significance of that. And um, I guess I need, in the interest of full disclosure, to tell you that uh, the card that came with it said it was from Santa Claus. So um, I want to thank Santa Claus for Hickory Farms. I, um, I was pretty hard on Hickory Farms, I guess, a few weeks ago, but I'm really glad to get it. And uh, any of you guys that uh, got your Hickory Farms, you want to share it, bring your jackknife, cut off a piece, it's always good. It's kind of a good guy gift, isn't it? Um, I don't know if you noticed, if you're as tired of my neckties as Janet says you are, you notice that I have a new tie on as well. So I got Hickory Farms and a necktie for Christmas. And um, both are are good gifts, of course. And um, uh, a few weeks ago, if you weren't here... We were emphasizing the fact that aren't you glad that God didn't just give us Hickory Farm sausage and a necktie, but he gave us the greatest gift, his son, the Lord Jesus. Amen. And we're so thankful. I, I got something else I thought I'd bring. I, I like it more than I thought. I didn't really think I needed it because I never asked for directions, but I got a GPS. Um, and I thought that... Um, what a neat gift that is, you know? And, and I was thinking about this GPS. I was thinking about how practical of a gift this is. I'm going to be able to use it all year long. It's very useful, very helpful. And this GPS is going to help me get to where I'm supposed to go. And I also thought... If this thing is accurate, and it is remarkable how accurate they are. I was using one similar to this that was borrowed when I was driving a busload of students in downtown D.C. on a field trip about a month ago. And I kept turning up wrong streets and all over the place, you know. And, and um, it just kept recalibrating, and it just it gets you where you want to go. If you listen to it, it'll keep you off of dead-end streets. I thought, now that'll preach. That'll preach. I'm not going to preach about a GPS, but that GPS reminded me of how really the Christmas story ought to be perceived by us. Our Christmas season was interrupted with a snowstorm, and so I'm a little bit off of what I planned to preach. I thought it would be good for us this Sunday, even though we've kind of gotten over the Christmas hump, still near enough, and with missing last week, that we would sing Christmas hymns. And we've never really gotten through the entire Christmas story this Christmas season, remember we talked about having a Merry Christmas instead of a Martha Christmas a few weeks ago? I don't know how you did. It's a challenge, isn't it? And then two weeks ago, we talked about the ties and sausage in John 3.16. Will you take your Bibles and turn with me to Matthew chapter 1, please? And let's look at Matthew's account of the Christmas story. Now, I know that you know the story. And I know that um, it's very familiar. Here's the mindset that I have this morning. I was thinking about um, what's going to happen here in a few days. Channy Baby's going to say, Vannard, would you go downstairs and get the boxes and bring them up? And I'll say, yes, dear, just a moment, dear, and off I'll go and um, bring up all of those boxes that it seems like just the other day I carried up that were full and she decorated for Christmas and what are we going to do? We're going to pack up Christmas and put it away, aren't we? And I thought, you know, we kind of do that with the Christmas story, don't we? That unless we happen to be going through a series in Matthew or Luke, it seems that even if you do that, a preacher will start a series so that it fits Christmas. And we just kind of pack these stories up and put them away, and they'll be there next year when we get there. But I thought maybe a good way for us to end the Christmas season here, as well as to end 2009, would be to look at this story one more time, as familiar as it is, and in a very practical and useful way, let's receive some guidance. From this story. What a remarkable story it is. And I think there's some lessons contained in the Christmas story that can be most practical all year long, help us get where we're supposed to go and keep us off of dead end streets. Why don't you stand with me and let's read the story. You haven't stood for a while. We're in Matthew chapter one and in deference to God's word, let's just stand and you follow along in your Bible and I'll read the story again The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he had no union with her until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. In Bethlehem, in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will be the shepherd of my people Israel. And then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and he said, go and make a careful search for the child. And then they opened their treasures and they presented him with gifts of gold and of incense and of myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. Well, thank the Lord for that great story. Thank you for your good attention. You may be seated. What a remarkable account it is. You may well know that Matthew, of course, gives us more of a of a view of Joseph's perspective and Luke's account gives us more insight as to uh, Mary's account uh, of the birth of our Lord Jesus for the two clearest passages uh, giving us the account of our Lord's birth. Well, it is familiar. And as I said, the tendency is to kind of focus on it during the Christmas season and then pack it up, put it away and off we go on into the new year with our busy schedules and I thought it would be good for us this morning to just step back from the Christmas story and make some observations that would be practical and useful all year long for God's church and for God's people. You know, it is, um, when you stop and think about it in verses 18 and 19 as we begin the story and we break it down now for our lessons, it is really something to behold. What, what really went on there? You see, this betrothal between Joseph and Mary had been done very formally. This engagement was something that was contractual. It was something that was a set deal. It wasn't just like, hey babe, will you marry me? It was very much an agreement that had gone on between the families. It was something where there had been a ceremony, there had been formality, and it was understood by all that Mary and Joseph were, in essence, husband and wife But due to the culture and the custom, there would be a time, part of which was for the purpose of making sure she was not pregnant. So it would go nine months or more before they then would come together and enter into the same home and consummate the marriage and have a final wedding ceremony and begin their lives together. It was a time for Joseph as well to prepare her home and for him to be ready and responsible to take a wife and make sure that he could then receive this girl from her father and support her and take care of her. We have, of course, these two key players in our story, Mary and Joseph. This is the emphasis on Joseph. And I think that it's interesting in the middle of what happens here to Joseph. And the story just kind of jumps right in. Did you notice that? This is how the birth of Jesus Christ came about. His mother, Mary, was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be with child through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was, and this is what sticks out to me here, he was a righteous man. He did what? Instead of doing what many of us would probably do, hey, I didn't have anything to do with this. It was her. Look at her. She's the one who's pregnant. And instead of having a right to make it a public, printed in the paper, this announcement that the marriage has been annulled. It is in essence, a a working of a divorce, a separation of this engagement. It's all off. Joseph, we can see in the story, evidently really did love Mary. It was not just an arranged marriage. You can learn a lot about a man by how he loves his wife, can't you? And Joseph, very concerned that Mary not be held up to public disgrace. He knew how the small town gossip worked, didn't he? All of this in the lives of Mary and Joseph, they had a plan, you know, they were anticipating coming together and they were anticipating their new home. They were anticipating a family. But now all of a sudden, everything is different. And it occurred to me that God had used very ordinary young people in this passage and in this great story, how remarkable for Joseph to receive this information that, he's, that we'll see review in just a minute. But I wanted to focus on that characteristic of Joseph for just a minute, that he was a righteous man. A practical lesson number one from our story that I think we can take with us and be helpful to us in our own Christian walk is this. The servant of the Lord, excuse me, the servant of God, must be prepared. The servant of God, number one, must be prepared. What do I mean by that? Well, in this story, I don't think we have Joseph ever anticipating that because he was a righteous man, God would choose him to be the overseer of the Messiah as he was conceived in Mary through the Holy Spirit. I don't think Joseph had any idea any of this was going to happen. He's an ordinary guy doing an ordinary job. We know that he was a carpenter from a small town. We know later when he goes to the temple to have Jesus circumcised that he didn't even give the the sacrifice that was the highest end. He didn't offer a lamb. He offered a couple of pigeons, a couple of uh, doves or pigeons. I can't remember which. And indicating that that was acceptable, but that was more of a moderate or low income kind of sacrifice. This guy didn't have a lot of money. He was just a normal guy. I don't think he ever woke up in the morning and said, no, I've got to be righteous so I can be prepared for God to do great things in me. I don't think that's what's going on in him. Here's what I think is happening. He's just the kind of guy and Mary was the kind of young lady who because they were righteous, God used them. Because of his righteous life, He was usable. He lived, in essence then, a prepared life. What does it mean to be righteous? The King James uses the the word just. It's a person of spiritual integrity, a person of uprightness, a person with no known, unconfessed sin in their lives, a person who when they have sin in their life, it bothers them. Have you ever evaluated yourself, your sensitivity, your spiritual maturity by that standard? I can identify known sins in my life and I just kind of let them be there. Not Joseph. Joseph is a righteous man and he didn't like that. I enjoy using the New Testament commentary series done by two different guys. Uh, One guy's Kistemacher, another guy named William Hendrickson I particularly like. And he did Matthew's commentary and he defines righteous a righteous life as this. William Hendrickson says, a righteous person is, listen, one who with his whole heart wants to live in accordance with the will of God. That's good, isn't it? A righteous person is someone who with their whole heart, they want to live in accordance with the word of God. Joseph was that kind of guy. Therefore, he was usable by God. He was just prepared. He had no idea of the interruption and the confusion and really the explosion that was going to take place in his life. He thought he had his plan together. He had his engagement taken care of. He had his, his livelihood. He I'm, no doubt had a home ready to go or was getting a home ready to go. And then all of a sudden, everything is interrupted. God is now going to use him. And God was able to use him because he lived in a state of preparation. I was really impressed Christmas morning early at about 6 a.m., not by design or plan, but by a telephone call. We had just risen because we were to get over to Hedgesville, to Mama's house for Christmas morning, and the phone rang, and it was the fire department's down at Fellowship Bible Church. There's an alarm going off, and then when they came in with the key that they can access to get in so they don't have to break down our doors if that happens, Then they set the burglar alarm off. So my phone was ringing and I came racing down and what kind of car are you gonna have? I'll let the sheriff know, the dispatch said. Said a beat up old Ranger truck, easy to see. I came in and you know what impressed me? Here was a Jefferson County Sheriff in here. He was calm, he was content. It was six o'clock in the morning. He was alert, he was here, but he was so polite and nice. And these, there was two huge, big old citizens' fire department trucks sitting out front, and these volunteer firemen were here, and a couple guys in pickup trucks with their little light came in. They were all polite. They were. I said right away. I said got, we had looked around, got them up in the attic, looked around. We couldn't identify a you know, faulty alarm. There seemed to be no smoke, and I was so impressed that at six o'clock on Christmas morning, these guys were here and with a good attitude and prepared to take on whatever they needed to face. I mean I'm really thankful for those guys in our community. That's just phenomenal. I wasn't planning to do that. I was kind of grouchy about the whole thing, actually. They lived in a state of preparedness. You know, I doubt that any of those guys went to bed that night saying, I hope there's a fire tomorrow morning. Some of them might, but hopefully not. They're just trained, aren't they? They're guys that just live their life in such a way that when the siren goes off, they're there. They're ready to roll. They're prepared. I really think that Joseph and Mary just lived that kind of a life. They didn't know when the siren was going to go off in their lives, and indeed it went off. They're just ordinary, normal people planning to live an ordinary, normal life, but they lived prepared almost in an unconscious, quiet kind of a way, a righteousness in my life so that I am available and ready to go at God's disposal at any time. Are you ready for what 2010 can bring? Are you available? Are you prepared to be used of God? If you're just building a righteous life and a lifestyle of righteousness and walking with God, guess what? You never know how he's going to use you. I have no idea what God wants to do with us this year. Are we prepared? The number one way to be prepared is to just be righteous. Just be living that life of spiritual integrity intact. Again, you don't wake up in the morning and say, I'm really ready for the big one today, God. No, it's the humble that he elevates. But because Joseph was righteous, God used him. Number one, practical lesson not to pack away at Christmas time from the Christmas story. The servant of God must be prepared. Number two, notice that in the middle of this chaos, I mean, can you just imagine the whirlwind of thought that went through Joseph's mind? Because Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man, he did not want to put, expose her to public disgrace. And so he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, verse 20, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. Wow. It's like the right answer there is, yeah, right. Unbelievable believable. And God reveals himself through an instructive word. And he is now showing Joseph what his will is for Joseph's life. And you notice that the first thing the angel says to him is, Joseph, do not be afraid to take Mary home to be your wife. Joseph, you know what you're thinking? You're thinking wrong you're thinking wrongly, I want you to do this. This is my will. Practical lesson number two to take with us into 2010 is this. Not only number one, must the servant of God be prepared, but number two, the will of God should not be feared. The will of God should not be feared. Listen, how easy would it have been for Joseph to look at the angel And I don't know how this worked in his dream exactly, as God revealed truth to him. Sorry, Bud, that's not me. I I just don't know what's going on here. But you know what? You can find another guy to take her home, because I just don't—I don't feel good about these circumstances. Not Joseph. He knew it wasn't going to be easy. He knew all of a sudden everything was just different than he had ever imagined. And I don't know that he even really wanted it to be that way right then. He had a plan. He had a shop. He had a home. He had had a a girlfriend and and a fiance. He he knew when things were going to happen. All guys like to be in control and now all of a sudden he's not in control. And yet what did he do? He was not afraid of the will of God. And I suspect that God has things for us to do that we never do because we're afraid to follow him in simple obedience sometimes we are afraid of the will of God for our lives young people I want you to listen to me especially young people I have worked with young people for a long time and one of the things I've noticed in a tendency is to be a, is to hold God at an arms distance all we want that ticket to heaven in our pocket for sure case something goes wrong, you know, when I'm snowboarding, I get to go to heaven. But I don't want Jesus to be Lord of my life because he might mess up my plans. You know, the old, I might have to marry someone ugly and move to Africa if God's in control. How common that is. But you know, here's Joseph, not afraid of the will of God. Here's what I want to say to you young people. You have the courage to follow God in obedience when He makes Himself clear to you through His Word. Notice this is not just a pipe dream, but this is a direct Word from God. And when you receive the Word of God and God begins to burden your heart and you know His will, you take that step, even though you say, well, I was going to do computers, now I'm over here doing kids or whatever. There will be a time... It didn't come right away for Joseph, I don't think, but there will be a time when you will say, you know what? The plan of God for my life really worked out. I'm so glad that I walked in obedience. You know, I think adults have a little bit of an issue with this. There are things that the Lord puts on our hearts and we're afraid to do it. might cost us too much money. might cause us a little bit of embarrassment. You, you have an opportunity. Some guy or a g- girl at work or some neighbor... And you know they need Jesus. And you've had them on your heart for a long time. You've waved. You've mowed their lawn every time you go over there. You mow a little bit more. You pick up their newspaper for them. And God has put them on your heart. You know right where they are. And you know right who they are. And for years they've been there. But sooner or later, you've got to go talk to them about Jesus. People don't get saved by doing their lawn. People get saved by the word of God, entering their ears, convicting their heart. By you sharing your testimony of what Jesus has done. And you sometimes have those moments when you know right then God wants you to go. And you say, no, I really can't do that right now. Because why? Because I am afraid of what God is calling me to right there. I don't know what the circumstances might be in your life. There might be an opportunity that will come And you're going to see that opportunity and you're going to hear it and you're going to feel that conviction and you're going to know God wants me to do that. And you're going to start thinking of all the reasons why you're not going to do it. Now listen, I'll tell you something. In our era, very rarely does an angel come and say, do not be afraid to do God's will right now. If you have a clear word from God, you have a clear heart of conviction on it, don't be afraid of the will of God. He'll never call you somewhere that he doesn't sustain you and enable you, as difficult as it can be. How difficult it must have been for Joseph to say, okay, I'm not going to be afraid of the will of God, knowing public disgrace, gossip, all this going on. Number one, the servant of God must be prepared. Number two, the will of God should not be feared. Number three, I want you to see in this story that the plan of God has been announced. The plan of God has been announced. A lot of people are confused about, well, what's God doing in the world? What's it all about? Here's what it's all about, right here in the Christmas story. Let's read on. He said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife. What's conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus. And here it is. This is what God's doing, because He will save His people from their sins. In the Christmas story, we have the very agenda of God given to us. Sending Jesus to save people from their sins. The pronoun their sins would be, I think, first and foremost, coming to Israel. John makes it clear that he came unto his own and his own did not receive him. Largely through the ministry of the Apostle Paul then, he began to proclaim the good news even to the Gentiles. In fact, will you take a minute and let's turn to 1 Timothy chapter 1. Turn to 1 Timothy chapter 1 and notice how the Apostle Paul emphasizes and reinforces why Jesus came, what God's agenda is all year long, not just at Christmas time. <coughs> Excuse me. 1 Timothy chapter 1, look at verse 15. In the Apostle Paul's writing, when he wants to emphasize something that's really important, and he did this multiple times. In fact, it's kind of interesting to look it up as a little Bible study. Here's a pattern. He'll say this. Look at 1 Timothy 1.15. The Apostle Paul wants to say something really important, and he, he alone did this. He said, Here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Yeah, that's a strong statement. Here's a trustworthy statement, people, that you need to fully receive. What is it? Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the worst. You want to know why Jesus came? He came to save sinners. You know why that's good news? Because we're all sinners. You know, I'm really glad the Apostle Paul reinforced that message. You can turn back to Matthew 1 as I have people in my study and as we're dealing with the sin issues, it's amazing. People go, Pastor Van, you don't know what I've done. Pastor Van, you don't know how bad I've been. I say, well, I'll tell you something. One thing I do know is you're not the worst sinner that ever lived. The Apostle Paul was the worst sinner that ever lived. Under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he claimed it and it was never clarified otherwise. So I take it he's got good reason to believe he was the worst sinner that ever lived. Listen, what a shame to go through the Christmas season and pack up your Christmas stuff and miss the whole point. My friend, do you know this morning that Jesus Christ came to save you from your sin? Do you have that straight? Do you have it straight that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners? It wasn't the righteous Jesus said that need that need help. It was the sinners. It's not the healthy who need a doctor, it's the sick. Listen. Will you stop and think right now and ask yourself, is my sin forgiven? Do I know Jesus? Christ Jesus came into the world To save sinners. The Apostle Paul clearly stated that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. But that the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. That which the wages of our sin brings death. But the gift of God is eternal life. Don't miss it this Christmas. In the middle of it all. It's really not about reindeer, Santa Claus, hickory farms and neckties. It is not even about GPS's It is about the fact that God so loved the world so much. Would you change that right now and say, God loved me so much that he sent his only begotten son, Jesus, into the world to save me, a sinner. He came to go to the cross, didn't he? To be our sin bearer, to be our substitute, to be the one who would take our place. And so the question you need to ask yourself right now in the middle of this message is, Do I know Jesus Christ as my savior from my sin? Have I put my faith and trust in him? Do I admit my sinfulness? Indeed I do. Do I believe that Jesus is the Christ? That he died on the cross, was buried and that God raised him from the dead? I do believe that. And that he did that for me, carrying my sin. Have I confessed that to God? that that is my belief system. That is what I'm holding to. Listen, it's the only way. Jesus himself said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but by me. This Christmas, don't pack that one away. Make sure you know it. Make sure you know your sin is forgiven. Lesson number one, the servant of God must be prepared, living righteously, ready to go. The will of God should not be feared, number two. The plan of God has been announced. Let's quickly wrap up some more lessons from our story and go home. The prophecies of God will be fulfilled. The prophecies of God will be fulfilled. Say, so what's that got to do with anything? Did you notice in the Matthew account that we read how at different times it said according to, that the prophets would be fulfilled? Here's my point on this. A couple years ago, it really hit me hard, and I've mentioned it from this platform numerous times. But let's just look in the Word. Look at verse 22. Look at verse 22. We just finished verse 21. His name, Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place, look, notice carefully, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. What did the prophet say? Verse 23, the prophet said, quote, The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Listen, that's a direct quote from Isaiah chapter 7, which was made hundreds of years before this time. When we read through the passage, we will notice that this expression is going to be used over and again. Look down, for example, at chapter 2 and verse 5. Look at 2.5. This is when King Herod is questioning the wise men and he wants to know where the baby was born and stuff. And he calls in the priests and the teachers of the law and he asks them where the Christ was to be born. Look what they say. Verse 5, chapter 2. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah are by no means least among the rulers and so forth. He's going to be born in Bethlehem. Notice that he says it again. In chapter 2, I didn't read this far, in verse 16. When Herod realized he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious and he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and under in accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi. Then what was said through the prophet Jeremiah was fulfilled. A voice is heard in Ramah weeping in great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children. It says it one more time in the the story. Remember, Joseph receives another dream then next in the story. Take your family and go to Egypt. Jesus is probably somewhere around two years old at this time. End of chapter two of Matthew. And look what it says. He withdrew and Herod, when he was um, having been warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee and he went on and lived in a town of Nazareth. So was fulfilled what he said through the prophets. He will be called a Nazarene. Listen, when it says in the Christmas story that Jesus was born in Bethlehem, guess what? The prophets foretold it, and when Jesus was born, guess where he was born? <laughs> By cracky, he was born in Bethlehem. And guess what? When, when Mary became pregnant, it was conceived in her of the Holy Spirit, and we have no reason to question the the integrity and the veracity of the story. They gave an accurate account and it was not Joseph or any Roman soldier who impregnated. It was a virgin who conceived. It was no perpetual virginity on her part. She was a virgin who was conceived in by the Holy Spirit. It really happened just like it said. And when it said he would come up out of Egypt, I, I kind of messed that up there a little bit, but that's what I meant. In Egypt and that he would be a Nazarene, there was two different parts there. It was prophesied of old it didn't mean he would come from Czechoslovakia. It meant he would come from Egypt, the real Egypt. You don't spiritualize it. You don't make it into something. Oh, and he's going to be present here. And, he's, and he was a Nazarene. It meant he was really a Nazarene. Here's my point. The prophets were right the first time. And in the Christmas story, one of the things we have is some of the greatest evidence that the prophecies of God's Word are fulfilled literally. And my point would be this, that if all of the prophecies of the first coming were fulfilled literally, why would the second coming prophecies not be fulfilled literally? Turn to Acts chapter 1 quickly. Acts chapter 1 and notice, here's an example of numerous prophetic statements. Acts chapter 1. This is the end of our Lord's ministry now. He's been to the cross. He's been in the tomb for three days. He resurrected. Forty days have gone by. Now he makes his final statement. Go into Judea, Jerusalem, Judea, and all all Samaria, the other most ends of the earth. Verse 9, Acts chapter 1. And after he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. And they were looking intently up into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside him. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken up from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. All right, look. When it says... That these men, these disciples, were looking up into heaven. Guess what it means? It means that their chins were up and their eyes were up and they were looking up into the sky. That's what it means in the Greek. Yeah. And when these two angels came and told them that this same Jesus, who you've watched go up into heaven, is going to come back in the same way, the way we understand that is that when Jesus comes back, he's going to come back in the sky for us. And we have all kinds of other prophetic passages and pronouncements, 1 Thessalonians 4, 1 Corinthians 15. Jesus' owns wor- own words in John 14:1. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go there to prepare a place for you, that where I am, there you may be also. And I will come back again and receive you unto myself. Listen. Don't make it into something it doesn't say. It's not hard to find a church in Jefferson County where the pastor will tell you that this Jesus isn't even real. He's whoever you want him to be. And that when he comes again, he's just going to kind of come in your life in love. I'll tell you something. He didn't just kind of show up somewhere in Bethlehem. It said he was going to be in Bethlehem. He was in Bethlehem. Said he'll be a Nazarene. He came out of Nazareth. Said he would come up out of Egypt. He came up out of Egypt. Said he's going to come back in the sky. He's coming back in the sky. So when you pack away the Christmas story, one of the things you need to understand and think about all year long is that this Jesus who already came and went is coming back again and you don't know when. And you better be ready in 2010. That even rhymes. You don't know when in 2010. I'll spare you anymore. Listen. There's a lot of lessons in the Christmas story and that baby is as important as any. The prophecies of God will be fulfilled. Don't doubt it. Don't doubt it. Well, there's another one. Look at Matthew chapter one and we'll close with this. Look what it says. Verse 24, don't miss it. It's almost so simple, we miss it. So when Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him. Number five, practical lesson not to pack away this year, but to let impact your life all year long is this, the word of God must be obeyed. When Joseph woke up, he had received the word of God in a dream. He went and did it. He obeyed it. You say, Pastor Van, what's so big about that? That is like so simple, it's unbelievable. It's unbelievable. Yeah, it's simple, all right. Why don't you come sit like a mouse in the corner of my study when the tears are coming down and I got to go get my secretary's Kleenex box for people. Do you know what? You know what the common thread is every time? You know what it is every time? Oh, Pastor Van, is this, is this bad? And I'm not making fun of anybody. Sin is just ugly. Sin messes up lives. And there they don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. I'll tell you what happened, bud. You didn't obey the word of God. That's it. Young people, you want to mess your life up? Just forget the word of God. Just mark it down. You'll mess up your life. That's it. It's as simple as that. Oh, Pastor Van, I'm not going to mess up my life. I know you don't plan to, but we'll just track you. We'll put a little beeper on you and we'll follow you for your life and watch and see what happens. Pretty soon the government will put a thing around your ankle and we won't have to track you anymore you disobey the word of God, it'll be there. One thing after another. Do you know how easy it is to mess your life up in a heartbeat? And one of the things that Joseph did that was so worth noting and modeling in our lives is that when he had a clear word from God, he did it. He'd make excuses, He didn't say, not today, Lord. He didn't say, maybe later, maybe after I retire, maybe I'll do this, maybe I don't want her for my girlfriend anymore, I'll do this, I'll do that. God's word speaks so clearly. And how often do I encounter young people and adults who say, well, God's word said you shouldn't have done that. I know, but we were doing this and we did that. You didn't obey the word of God, my friend. It's not because you're stupid. It's because you're a sinner. It's because we let down our guard, right? And we lived unprepared for a moment. Well, there it is. There's a few practical lessons to help guide you and keep you off of dead-end streets for the new year. So when mama calls for you to get the boxes to pack up Christmas, don't pack them up, all right? Lesson number one to remember all year long The servant of God must be prepared. Number two, the will of God should not be feared. Number three, the plan of God has been announced. Number four, the prophecies of God will be fulfilled. Number five, the word of God must be obeyed. There is another point. I'm not going to preach it, but I'll tell you. Number six is the son of God must be adored. Did you see the wise men, what they did? They found him and they worshiped him. It's really all about Jesus, isn't it? And what a good goal for us to make Jesus Christ the the focal point of our lives in 2010. Jesus Christ must be magnified and adored in my life. I must bring myself in under the lordship of Jesus Christ as I walk and live a righteous life. I think it's appropriate on the last Sunday of the old year, and I do this regularly, but um, I don't know if this year... I'm going to have to tell Rich Beto, Rich, I need the steps removed from the platform because we have to fit your casket here. We did it several times last year, didn't we? We lost some faithful brothers. Listen to me, my friend. Listen closely. You don't know what the upcoming year is going to bring. Take the Christmas story this morning. Receive the forgiveness of sin. Make Jesus Christ the center of your life. Live that righteous life and let God use you because we don't know how long we have. We don't know what God wants to do. And just like in Joseph and Mary's life, God sometimes does things that we had no idea he was going to do. No idea. So get ready for a new year of living for Jesus, right? Amen. Let's bow our heads and pray. Why don't we be still for just a minute and before I close this in prayer, if the Spirit of God has brought conviction to your life at some level, why don't you deal with it? Maybe this is your day to admit your sinfulness once and for all. To believe that Jesus is your sin bearer and your Christ and Lord that he rose from the grave conquered death, hell and the grave for you and will give you eternal life and make you his child today maybe some believer in Christ you're not living the righteous life God would have for you you're not walking in obedience will you deal with that? And so, Father, we would say thank you for giving us the Lord Jesus and not an old stick of sausage. Thank you for making the way clear to us. Thank you for Joseph and Mary, for their spiritual integrity, for their humble obedience, for their willingness to participate even in confusing and difficult things when they understood that you had spoken. May we emulate and model that lifestyle. Please bless our young people, Lord. Guard their hearts and their minds. Keep them from the evil one in 2010. Help us to have strong families to live for you in righteousness, to be prepared for your coming. The only way we know to take it is that it's really going to happen because you said it was. We commit these things to our minds for learning and meditation and life impact in Jesus' name, amen.